What up, everybody? I want to welcome you back to the Socks and Sandals podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your boy Emmanuel. I'm back in the kitchen. I'm whipping it up, and I got my guy, Tony Funches, with me. Tony, say what's up to the people, bro. Hey, everybody. Yeah, yeah. So, man, this week, super excited, bro. Glad to have you on. Thank Appreciate you. you for Glad coming to be through. here. Yeah. Absolutely. No doubt, man. So, um, we are going to get into a topic that I've been wanting to talk to or talk about for a while it's the black lives matter movement sounds good in depth about you know their guiding principles and whatnot and how that affects the movement that they're trying to you know push forward and 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 whatnot and so um we're going to get into that so um everybody that's been tapping into the podcast man whether it's on soundcloud itunes i appreciate y'all if y'all could go on itunes leave a comment rate five stars I appreciate every bit of support that y'all give. Um, But yeah, let's hop into it, man. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Tony, tell the people who you are, where you're from, and what you do, man. All right. I am a native Oregonian, born right here in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. Um, Have been involved in the movement for a long time, Mm -hmm. uh, either as in leadership of the local NAACP or Mm -hmm. the Urban League Young Professionals. Um, have ha- held positions of leadership on Portland Community College campus as well as at being at Portland State. Mm-hmm. Um, having life occur as it often does, um, made some poor choices that found myself being incarcerated and now I'm formerly incarcerated and still active in the movement, um, doing the things necessary to help liberate um, our people. Um, and currently am a 2017 fellow of Just Leadership USA out of New York, which is an mm-hmm. organization that elevates the leadership of great leaders. So so they already find folks who are doing great things around the country who are formerly incarcerated and they strengthen our leadership and create a network and a platform for us to continue to advance a mess a message of half by 2030 looking at dismantling mass incarceration and reducing the prison population mm. so how did you get discovered like what what were you doing that led up to you becoming a part of that man i was like doing everything for a minute i was like i was looking at my uh, resume i was like i had like 17 titles at one time but i when i was at pcc i was active in student government active in the trio program helping to develop their mentor program helped build out the passage program which is a program created by noni Kazi at portland community college that was designed for african-american um, women who were students looking at the disparities and our success and our failure rates and her program had been in place for over a year and then I came along and helped build out a program for the men Mm. Um, and then it built into what she is now operating um, as the Black Student Success Summit. So every year there's a summit where 500 students from around the uh, state meet at Portland State for a day where they see black professionals talking about the educational experience, the career experience, the life experience, um, and really just operating as a liaison between her and the community because of the work that I was doing as uh, executive committee member of the Urban League Young Professionals, which is an organization for 18 to 40 year olds to come be a part of and grow their leadership as well. <clears throat> it's an auxiliary of the Urban League of Portland. Okay. There's a national network around that um, operated as their ledge person, then in their community involvement. So really had opportunity to dig into policy and look at what are the issues that are impacting our community mm. and then have those conversations at a national level um, with the Black uh, Caucus out in D.C. and other leaders and simultaneously being vice president of the NAACP here in our city. And uh, while I was in that role, I realized that when I was in high school, I was the spokesperson for the uh, Portland chapter, the youth chapter of the NAACP. So just really looking at a lifelong history of being involved with this work. 
being uh, supportive of the other movements that exist in our city, um, whether it's Portland Resistance, um, Don't Shoot, Black Lives Matter, anything that is elevating the conversation around um, our liberation. But also, I wasn't just limited to the issues focusing on black folks. Um, I had a conversation and had a voice in marriage equality, in DACA for students, tuition equity, anything that hinders people of color or this is my thing, black, brown, and broke folks, mm, right? Yeah. If I can serve black, brown, and broke folks, you can count on me to show up and help support whatever your movement is. Mm. And so that's really what I was doing, active in those capacities, building a, a leadership platform and a voice and a very specific lens of someone who's been formerly incarcerated and who is um, very clear about what it's going to take to move the pendulum to get us to a place of equity. Yeah. Um, and then really focusing a lot of that in the arts and in education. And then how do we liberate our, our community and like having serious conversation around what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. That's dope, man. So, I mean, was it was it anything in particular that kind of led you down that path? Or is it something that, that's always been your heart? You know, what I mean? you know, I was thinking about that. I was like, it's always been there. Like, mm-hmm. I can remember all the way back to elementary school at Irvington Elementary. Irvington. Yeah, I went okay. to Irvington. Yeah. Irvington Elementary cool. being asked to be a part of uh, the MLK celebration by Mrs. Kent back way Ms. long Kent. Yeah, Miss yeah. Kent way back. God and bless, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and um, having to do the Martin, the MLK, MLK, I have a dream speech, then ending, then going to Fernwood, mm-hmm. being at Fernwood, being a part of No Kidding, traveling all over the country, singing and just like really getting an opportunity to ha- be exposed to different cultures, communities and opportunities. Then going over to Catlin Gable, uh, mm-hmm. where I attended private school, which like showed me a whole nother world mm. um, and then you know being in that type what of environment what grades were you at Catlin? I was at Catlin freshman, sophomore half of junior okay and then left uh, the middle of my junior year and mm-hmm. went to Jeff right so you went from <laughs> yeah I went from I went from <laughs> I went from one of the most elite whitest schools <laughs> ever all the way back to right in the hood with my people doing the thing and then once Bro, I got back me, there tell me about that transition I know you know what I mean like what was that 90s yeah, but we ain't gonna talk about we ain't gonna talk about all that. We don't we no, no, no. we don't okay. we don't okay. illuminate by age. But oh, my bad, my bad, my bad. <laughs> so, but that's I mean that's that's peak black. Yes, <laughs> like, yes, peak black Northeast Portland. Yes, it was. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's just like these kids think is oh yeah that's the black school. Nah, no no no. What it is nah. today is just a school in it's a neighborhood a that was one. black. So like going from <laughs> Catlin, bro. Yeah. To Jeff. Mm-hmm. For one, what was the reason for the move? If you don't mind, I don't have a problem with that. You so. Know what I mean? You know, um, being at a predominantly almost all white school, there were a few other black folks there, some prominent names that are in our community today. Sure. Um, uh, you know, it was just it was just it was just really different. And um, I never le- I never let go of who I was and where I came from. You know, uh, I didn't know how to like I've always been around money. You know, my grandfather is white. Uh, he married my grandmother who already had three kids, you know, and he created an experience for um my my uncles and their friends like he took them to hawaii he took them to europe like he really demonstrated what privilege was and simultaneously i'm eating not not because not not as a disregard but simultaneously my mom you know she's a single mom growing up in poverty so i had this i've had this very dichotomous experience my Mm. whole life you know i'm living in the irvington neighborhood and still live in the irvington neighborhood which Mm. is like an upper middle class neighborhood always sure. has been, oh, yeah. you know, but I remember having sunshine uh, division for Christmas, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. block cheese and paper food stamps. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I've always had this very wide view of what the lived experience is. So, but it was really strange being all the way out um, at Catlin, where mm-hmm. I'm in mean, one of my one of my classmates. Her parent, her dad owned a BMW dealership. So mm-hmm. for her birthday, um, they rolled in. You know them things you see with all the cars on it on the freeway. They rolled in with a truck. They rolled in with a truck of BMWs for her to pick for her birthday. Like that's the type of yeah. type of environment that I was in. Yeah. But I always came home to my community at the end of the day, Word. and I think that's very challenging is to spend your day hours in a totally different world and then come home to <clears throat> come home to a different a totally different experience. Yeah. Uh, but because I still went to a black church, I still lived in a black home. I still lived in a, and Irvington at the time was still. Um, multicultural but highly mm-hmm. black mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. very diverse yeah. um there were black folks all around us today oh, yeah. there's not like no. I'm, the block i'm on that went from easily 10 12 of my neighbors being black mm-hmm. uh, i have one black neighbor left yeah you know um and that's only because they as old as methuselah <laughs> and the family is like living in the house taking care of them mm. to the end yeah um that's the northeast portland experience right yeah. but no so being that was it's just it was just a major culture shock but i never really let go of it so i mean i still saw all the folks that i went to jeff with i was at church with or i mm. saw in the community or i hung out with yeah. so it wasn't like that major but what happened was some old white lady said i mooned her and they demanded that I apologize. And since <coughs> I did not moon her, wow. I refused to apologize. And it just went downhill from there. That's they made it extremely difficult. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because I just, I'm not, I'm not going to say sorry for something I didn't do. Oh, for sure. I'm real, I'm big on, big on accountability, which is why I owned up and, and went and did my time for, for my crime and all of that kind of stuff. Turned myself in, yeah. took the steps necessary to be a better person, to come back and still be impactful in my community. Because I was doing the work before I went. I did the work while I was inside yeah. and I come home and I'm still doing the work. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not changing what my belief is. But what prison gave me was a clearer and a sharper understanding that this system is by design. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And if, if it's by design, then I'm not here to reform it because it's op- actually operating the way that it's supposed to work. Right. I'm here to help dismantle it. Right. And being in a place where I listened to the heart and the experience of over 500 men for three and a half years, whether they was black, white, native, Asian, young, old, straight, queer, whatever they're identifying um, uh, choices were mm-hmm. or, or identities were. I heard all of that Mm -hmm. and there was a very clear line in there that was a lot of pain and oppression that existed and so coming home I really have taken up that same mantle where I'm just working against oppression wherever oppression oppression exists I'm here to fight back word yeah man I gotta connect you with my guy Paul okay so he has uh, he just got out um, maybe six to seven months ago okay maybe eight months ago uh, in the summertime he got out mm-hmm. and um there was a organization that was started when he was in okay and now he's leading so there's an inside chapter and an outside chapter that's great it's called liberation literacy <clears throat> and so he's leading the outside chapter great great he just got invited out to harvard I saw that on your page. I saw that on your page. He he was out there doing his thing at Harvard. He was at Columbia. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So he did his little tour. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like six months out, running, you know, startup nonprofit, Mm -hmm. and they're making moves, bro. And that's because I have to. I have to give honor to. I think the work that Just Leadership USA under the under the founder and then CEO Glenn Martin, Mm -hmm. like. 
you know, he has been very instrumental in building out a movement where folks are recognizing the value added Mm -hmm. of formerly incarcerated voices. Mm -hmm. There was a time where there was no place for us. Um, It is still difficult to live in that skin. Mm -hmm. Um, But between him and the recent release of 13th and on the heels of the new Jim Crow, I think people are beginning to see One, that this is a system by design, that not everyone who goes to prison uh, was supposed to go to prison, that the system is extremely racially motivated. Mm -hmm. um, And actually, there's still some value. There is a lot of value in the people who we have thrown away. Mm. And so when we create space for them to speak um, and and actually listen to what myself and, and, and my peers who have been formerly incarcerated have to say, uh, Glenn says, those that are closest to the problem are furthest from the resources and the power, right? Mm. But when you shift that around and give those who have been impacted directly, whether it is either as a victim or a person who caused harm, Mm -hmm. you're gonna get a better outcome because they understand what is needed to move us to a better place. Oh, they're experts. Exactly, they're experts. uh, Just the other day was a day of empathy and um, a national day of empathy. And the the messaging that they used was crime hurts, justice should heal. Mm. And when you begin to think of justice in a capacity that is healing, that is healing for the person who's been harmed, healing for the community, and healing for the person that's done the harm, that's where you really find a holistic approach to um, rebuilding community safety and strength. Uh, there was a, a article not too long ago that says um, like forty percent of the uh, black male population is missing. Right. I seen that. I yeah. didn't read it. It was like a New York Times article. Yeah, it was a New York Times article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what it's saying is like they're locked up. They're locked up. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. It's locked up. Okay. That's a, uh, the largest capacity of it is they're locked up. Mm-hmm. Some of them flat out missing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reasons uh, that, that the article lays out. But the biggest part of it was they're locked up. Mm-hmm. And until we begin to address that and bring home uh, black, brown, and broke folks, because that's all they're locking up. They're locking up black, brown, and broke folks. They've begun to lock up some white folks, but they're locking up black, brown, and broke folks. Mm-hmm. Until we begin to bring those folks home and really see this thing as a system and then begin to dismantle it, then we will begin to see dollars go back into education, dollars go back into health care, dollars go back into public safety. We'll begin to see a better world because we've been we've been able to address what has actually hurt us the most. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> Let's take a sharp left. Let's do it. We met, what, two, three weeks ago? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. At a good friend of ours' house. We came together to discuss A Glorious Victory. Absolutely. Which Absolutely. was Black Panther. Great movie. Wakanda Forever. Wakanda Forever. My brother. But, uh, man, we had some different points of view. Of yep. The movie, you know what I mean? And it was a very spirited debate, to say the least. Yeah. And I wouldn't <laughs> say they were necessarily different. We just... We just had... Strong opinions about what was in the movie. Very strong opinions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about what we saw and how we intended. And how? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, but after that exchange, I was like, I got to get this brother on the podcast. Like anybody that has the courage of their convictions and and will full out just totally stand for whatever they believe and and be able to explain themselves. Like some people will just have a they'll, <laughs> they'll get on social media. 
But then when you talk to us, like, hey man, let's, let's let's talk it out. Like, do you, right. how do you, you know what I mean? And then mm-hmm. they won't, you know what I mean? Finger like, warriors, tell, exactly. Yeah, so you know the tw- Twitter fingers type of brother. No, no. And I, I appreciate that, bro. So thank you. Yeah, man. So let's let's get into it, man. Um, tell me, well, you were telling us a little bit about you know your relationship with some of the people in the Black Lives Matter movement. Yep. So tell the folks, you know, your connection and you okay. know, your level of involvement or, or lack thereof. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the place that we all exist in is in a uh, uh, a post-Trayvon um, world. I think that was a trigger for a lot of us. It was an awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it helped uh, three amazing uh, women, like, really... Like pour their heart out in a in a Twitter post, um, Alicia Garza, uh, Patrice Patrice Coolers, and um, Op- Opal Tometi. Tometi, mm-hmm. yes, I always get her last name messed up. <laughs> Three amazing women, um, and they threw on the end of there a, a, ha- a hashtag that said Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. and it lit like fire. <laughs> and it's continued; it's still a lit. And what really that was a rallying call and a wake-up call for a lot of folks. Um, and I have had the opportunity to meet um, all of them, mm-hmm. um, been in conversation and direct connection with uh, uh, Patrice and Alicia more so than Opal, continue to support their work, love them. Uh, just had the great pleasure of uh, uh, reading uh, Patrice's um, autobiography, uh, when they call you a terrorist, an amazing book. Get it? Mm. I listened to it on audiobook. It's just like oh, it's on Audible. It's, uh, it's on Audible. It's, I need that. It's amazing. It yeah. opens with a foreword by uh, Angela Davis. Wow! It's just My like Angela. I just posted about her. Man. It's powerful <laughs> because uh, she was also deemed a terrorist by Word, the yeah. U.S. government, yeah. um, and then also helping with the launch of. Black Futures Labs, Black Census. So if you haven't yet, check out blackcensus.org. Um, Alicia Garza's uh, or, new organization, Black Futures Lab, looking to do a 200,000 person, 200, person cen- census of the black community so we can really understand where we stand politically. Mm. Um, but yeah, those three amazing women, they, 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 they put their heart into that and they said Black Lives Matter and we've all been carrying it ever since. Yeah. Uh, some, some folks have organized uh, chapters around the around the country around the world uh, there's been protests and demonstrations and meetings and policies and calls and tables developed and I just support all of that work yeah you know um, I don't call myself a member of any particular uh, chapter or organization but I am definitely a friend and an advocate and and a champion for the organization and the work that those three amazing folks done have have initiated mm-hmm. and all of the folks that have followed their leadership um, to take up the call in their local cities and states around the country. Yeah. Yeah, man. I remember when it, you know, when everything popped off, I was, uh, I don't, I don't think I remember them for the Trayvon situation. It was more for the Ferguson. Like, mm-hmm. Cause it was after, it, it was, was after, after Trayvon. That. Trayvon really got folks thinking about yeah. what's going on. And it was after that. Mm-hmm. And so by the time Ferguson hit, it was like, Boom. It yeah. just blew up, you that know, and it. and like in the book, she talks about it. You know, they help with the organizing. They help bring folks from around the country to raise money, got buses, mm-hmm. organized with uh, a local church there to house the people that came just to be support, to be able to say, you know what? We we saw what happened with Trayvon. We're not letting it happen here. Um, we're not we're not going to let this get this one get away from us. Right. And I think that's kind of been where we've been as a people where we fall back asleep. 
after each incident and were only reactionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while their actions um, were reactionary, but they were responsive. They were more responsive than just reactionary. They were intentional, strategic, and they came in and, and it's continuously been a force to be reckoned with. Uh, and now shifting into a place of policy development, really helping to look at what the field is, the landscape, the political landscape, and figuring out ways for us to really advance as a people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and then also showing up for other people's struggles. And I think that's a, a key element of who we are as black people. Right. Mm -hmm. We show up for other people's struggles, you know, because Mm -hmm. we have a uh, and I say we as a collective, um, not meaning an inclusive. Right. Mm -hmm. But a collective. Mm -hmm. uh, We recognize um, pain and oppression in other people's space. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, we try to show up and and be present for those battles as well. Mm -hmm. The older I get, Mm -hmm. the more strange that seems. Okay. Strange in what capacity? Why are we showing up for other people's struggles when they don't show up for ours? It's a great question. Well, and and not and not to say that you know, of course, like you know, white folks uh, march with Dr. King right. and whatnot, and right. you know, the part of civil rights. So you, you can't minimize that. But after that, you know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just seeing it from a jaded perspective, you know. But it it seems like we initiate so much stuff, so yeah. many fights, so much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like resistance. Mm-hmm. We do. We, and we do. put up, I mean, and we take the brunt of, you know what I mean? Like we whatever do. comes back, that boomerangs back around, it hits us. It, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And we keep taking it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's, I don't, I don't have the answer. I don't. <laughs> I'm just say that first. I don't Word. have the answer, but you know, yeah. I think about it. I think about the capacity of us, um, having this immense ability to love. Mm. I think it's love. I think we're people motivated by love, right? True, yeah. Um, and yeah, we're like, you know what? Y'all know y'all need to be over here fighting this fight with us, right? Mm-hmm. But I think we're smart enough also to see, you know what? There are, King said it, Dr. King said it. He said, we are tied inextricably in a mutual fabric, right? Like all of this is knit together. Mm-hmm. So what happens to one happens to us all uh justice a threat of justice uh somewhere is a threat to justice everywhere right Right. not an exact quote but that's what he's saying it's like so we have to be aware because this is something i I used to say all the time when you stand on the sidelines and watch something happen to someone else Mm -hmm. you're really not standing on the sidelines you're standing in line for it to happen to you Mm. you know and that's what happens it just continues to roll right on down until it hits us because it's always it's either hitting us first <laughs> or it's coming for us you know and but it, it's it's always hitting us oh it's, that's what i'm saying it's always hitting us but then we we jump in front yeah to protect somebody else you know you know and I, it's just I, like, I just think it's our nature i think it's it our is. nature to be yeah. i mean okay so let's jump to the movie right let's jump to the movie let's, right? let's, go, let's, let's go. go to the movie right let's go to Wakanda, that's right. kind of like the thing it's like we need to show up right it's who we are right we don't have the you know we don't have the luxury to, we just don't have the luxury we don't have the luxury or the time to sit on the sidelines and see how it's going to play out for someone else mm. when we recognize that ultimately at the end of the day across the globe because of how 
this country and um, and Europe has treated us, mm-hmm. we are probably some of the most hated folks, right? But even by other black folks around the world, because they're looking at the image that's being presented out of media, out of out of out of the United States. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it's important that we counter that. I think we have to do everything possible to counter it. We can never be silent. Mm-hmm. I mean, silence is like. You know, even King says that too. He says, we, we won't remember the voice of our enemies, we'll remember the silence of our friends. Mm. Yeah, right? Yeah. And I think that, that that has to be a part of who we are too. We cannot sit on the sidelines and be silent. So when they come for a perfect example, one of the reasons that I was passionate about marriage equality in, in, our, in our state and fought for that mm-hmm. was because, as I had mentioned, my grandfather was white and he, six 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 foot four white man married this four foot six black woman right mm-hmm. in a time when it was um just barely say, legal was, was it, it was just barely okay. legal like was just late 60s mm-hmm. yeah. no even no it was early early 60s no no it, nope my mom was born so it was late 60s right right it was late 60s but the neighborhood they moved into irvington mm-hmm. the community it got together and was like uh a no. black person can live here, a white person can live here, mm. but a black and a white couple cannot live here, mm. right? So I think about loving, and I run all the way back to the loving case, and the Constitution, the constitutional case that they had was that the government doesn't get to decide who you love and who you can be in a relationship with. Mm. That's not their role. Mm. So I just felt like it was really tied back to our original fight that we had already won, and to give any ground on it begins to unravel that so we still have mm-hmm. to show up for that we still have to defend the right to marriage because whether um it's, it's for the same sex or if it's for interracial right that really was our fight right that was our fight in the beginning and we have to continue to hold those victories we have to continue to fight for those things that matter to us in the beginning and i think sometimes we forget that like there's no reason why um we really aren't like i mean we are but like we really need to be serious about making sure that everyone votes Mm-hmm. And everyone has the right to vote Word. and that everyone has access to voting with the dismantling of Section 5 of the Voters Right Voters Rights Act across the South. Um, instantly, when that came down, they began to put back in these barriers to black and brown and broke folks to voting. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, now they're into the place of gerrymandering. Um, Jeff Sessions is in uh, in office and he's. Uh, dismantling consent decrees. I was just reading just recently that New Orleans is trying to get out of their consent decree. And basically what that is, is like, you can't create these racially um, uh, uh, discriminatory practices without checking in with the government, right? With the federal government. Mm -hmm. So states and localities couldn't make these sweeping changes that discriminated and marginalized aspects of their population, which mm. predominantly was black, mm. without it going through a federal review process. Mm. Now that's removed. So now they're just gone willy-nilly, right? Mm. Um, having where they're moving polling stations and they're moving voting stations and they're putting in ID requirements. Well, I have folks who live in the backwoods of Mississippi who are 70, 80, 90 years old. They ain't got no ID. Mm. They don't have no current ID mm. because they don't have no need for it, right? Yeah. But when it comes time to vote, they still have the right that they, a lot of them fought and bled and died for. Right. And so we must continue to, to, to protect that right. Yeah. So it's like when we look across the landscape, it's important that we really take up the, the mantle to fight all of that stuff, right? Yeah. Because in the end, because at the end of the day, we know it, it, it affects us. Yeah. Yeah. 
I feel you, man. Um, I'm I'm not up on the voting stuff, so I mm-hmm. definitely need to read up on that. But uh, that's crazy. It sounds like it's in the South, they going hard, huh? Yeah. 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 But I mean, and that's just like one piece of it, because yeah. uh, what folks don't realize is a lot of um, harmful practices are born out of the South. They try it down there and they're like, oh, if we get away with it down here, then we can put it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Again, like New Orleans just had a predictive policing model. It was done secretly, but they did a predictive policing model down there to identify Oh, well, because X, Y, Z crime happened at this point in time, we can assume that it's going to happen again. So we might as well lock those folks up now. Like, no, that's not that's not how we get down. And they did it secretly because that stuff is racially motivated and it's flat out wrong. And so we have to we have to keep up on that stuff that's going on around the country and around in our local communities. Mm, mm, mm. Something else. Well, let's let's get into the topic at hand, man. Mm -hmm. Um. I think it was probably maybe a year ago. My guy Kern, shout out to you, Kern. Um, he was a uh, he always sends me stuff, you know what I mean, to look up and documentaries to watch and whatnot. And mm-hmm. he was like, "Hey man, have you checked out the Black Lives Matter website? Okay, see what they're about." You know what I mean? I was like, mm-hmm. "I don't even know what they're about." It's Black Lives Matter. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> right. you know? then, I'm, I'm for it, right? Yeah, like mm-hmm. yes, it's us. Like mm-hmm. let's go. And then he was like, "No, nah, it's it's a little different. You should you should check it out." And so I read it, and I was like, whoa. Mm. Like, this isn't what I knew it to be. You know what I mean? Like, okay. uh, like I said, I was introduced to them after Ferguson or during Ferguson. And it pretty much was about, from to, to my knowledge, it was fighting for black men getting killed by the, by the police. You know what I mean? Like, that's I what it you. was. Like, I fighting for justice. I hear you. For our brothers to not be killed, you know, unarmed people getting killed by the police. I hear you. Like, that was the jump off. Um, and so, and then just fighting for justice, you know? And then I read the website, and I'm like, wait, this is not, it's not really lining up, you know what I mean? So, I just want to read a little bit, a little read and react, you know okay. what I mean? And uh, I, this is like halfway into it. Um, I'll start right here. So, we are guided by the fact that all black lives matter, regardless mm-hmm. of actual or perceived sexual identity, gender identity, gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs or disbeliefs, immigration status or location. We make space for transgen- transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. We are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift uplift black trans folk especially black trans women who continue to continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence okay okay when i got to the part well there's there's a few things but the main thing that sticks out to me Mm -hmm. when it says they're required to dismantle cisgender privilege okay how does that strike you? I mean, because it, it strikes a chord in me where it's just like, for what? Okay. You know? Um, so how do you... Uh, so... I... So it says we are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folks, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. I, I just think that um, where there's imbalance, right? Mm-hmm. 
and that and that's and and that's kind of what privilege is right there's this imbalance that exists there's a power dynamic that exists um there is potential for harm and in this particular um segment what they're talking about is the type of and the level of harm that uh black trans folks were were that were and are um experiencing um i i don't identify as that so i i don't I can't like really lean in deeply into that, yeah. but as a cisgendered person, and that's kind of the thing. I think, I think. And for those I know it, that don't know what cisgender means, it means heterosexual, that, right? No, 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 no. No, it means that um, cisgendered is that when I was born, the doctor saw that I had a um, male genitalia, for sure, and so therefore I am assigned male identity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cisgendered when your genitalia matches the identity given to you. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So it has nothing to do with your sexuality. It has to do with your genitalia and how you are initially identified at birth. Okay. Yeah. These these new terms. Just, I'm, I'm right. Really, I'm not up on game, bro. Right. So, so you have to. Like, yeah. <laughs> so it's important mean? to it's important to like we have to like build out this lexicon. I point. I um. I posted today on my Facebook. I was like, you know what? I'm about to put white folks and church folks in the same category mm. because we cannot be having intentional conversations about liberation and uplifting communities when we are using colloquialisms, when we're using vocabulary that people don't understand. Mm. Right. Church folks want to holler out uh, um, a scripture, but mm. then not give any context. Mm-hmm. As as if everyone who read what that scripture was is your champion, your your clarion call is supposed to understand it in the same way that you do and mm-hmm. then also agree with you, mm-hmm. right? Now, I grew up in the church. Um, grew up in the church and am uh, a licensed evangel- uh, evangelist, have ministered all over the city, all over the country. Um, that's I find that to be problematic. I, I don't want to use a language to an audience that isn't understanding what I'm saying. Right, Christianese, for sure. Right, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think uh, it's important that even in this type of environment, that when we do use words, uh, we're important that we define what that means. And so what that means is uh, the privilege given to folks who, you know, at birth, they're someone else mm-hmm. looked at their genitalia and said, oh, you're this. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what that person feels, their life experience, what's going on inside of them, all of these other things. Um, I, I'm not a trans person, uh, so I can't really speak in depth around that. But um, it's just it's like it's like if someone was to when you were born to say that you were white and put on your birth certificate that you were white. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it's not you can you can look at me. Right. For one, I don't even I don't like race. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't care for it either. I don't care for it. Mm-hmm. I think we need to dismantle that. Absolutely, because sure, it's all social and it's just a, a box that you check, and that can really be you can really just reverse engineer it and just be like you know I don't I don't ascribe to it. And, and that, that's sort of the same thing here. It's like I don't ascribe don't, to that. Yeah. I don't ascribe to that. It's, it's some saying so I want to define who I am. So you, but 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 gender, I, I I don't think gender and race can be in the same. Well, when they say I'm black, mm-hmm. what they're saying is I'm African. I'm I'm of African descent. Okay. Okay. And in in the world, if you're called black, you're typically somebody who is of African descent. Okay. Or Aboriginal. Okay. And they don't know any better. Fair enough. 
Fair enough, yeah. Um, and that's just an outward look. Yeah, it's just ex- external. It's, it's, it's external. And so, it's, it's and so is this. Weird. And so is this gender identification. It's external. Mm, but gen- but gender is external and internal. It can be for some people. So if if a, but why is I don't, and. But here's the but here's the privilege. But here's the privilege. Just real quickly, here's the privilege in it. Neither one of us are trans, uh, transgender folks, and so we don't even have like we don't even have the vocabulary, the 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 um the authority to like really be talking on the on this on the subject. We can talk around it on the sur- on the surface level, but we could never really do it justice because I've never lived in that skin and in that True. body. So and that's where the privilege comes in, right? That's when we go to these events mm-hmm. and white folks want to talk about what the black community needs, right? Or when straight folks want to talk about what um, what um, uh, LGBTQ folks need. No, but look, it's but it's not the same. It's okay. not the same. Like a white person can't tell a black person what they need to do because they've never lived, and they can't. Right. But I've never lived as a trans person, so I can't really, I can't really, I can't really speak to what but they. But I sh- can. But but I can live as somebody who was born with a penis and. Okay. You know what I mean? So right. it's like. I know what that is. Right. Just like that. If that person has a penis and I have a penis, we we were born with the same, you know what I mean, utensils or you, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Utensils. Fair enough. Yeah, Fair I mean, enough. same faculties. You know what I mean? So it's just like, well. But that doesn't mean that you, that they, it, I, I can't really speak to it, but, I know, but the thing just, is, it's like, it doesn't mean that they feel the same way that you feel about it. Obviously, they don't. So that's why. And so the privilege is, mm-hmm. so like privileges is when, when, um, because we have to look at like all kind of privileges when it's something that you don't know about and you're just like I don't understand it and like okay so that can't be real that can't be a real thing that's and that's what they're talking about dismantling mm-hmm. is dismantling how cisgendered folks mm-hmm. are dismissive of the experience and and the need and that, I believe that's what they're talking about mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna ask Alicia but I believe that's what they're talking about yeah. um but yeah, again, like we're two cisgender but then, but folks then the, but then the trying to have a conversation around trans folks, and I just think that no, I'm, it, I'm not. I'm just I'm just having a conversation. It's more about privilege. Now, when we talk about privilege, I because think, because when it comes to privilege, I feel like you can call anything a privilege. If absolutely, you want to. absolutely, very much possible. Because once you start getting the privileges, it just it's a slippery slope, and, and then it just gets real nitpicky, and it's just like, all right, what are we really talking about? You can say. Skinny privilege. You can say mm-hmm. uh, fat mm-hmm. privilege. You mm-hmm. can say tall privilege. Mm-hmm. You can say short privilege. Mm-hmm. It just depends. It's like it's conducive to whatever man, whatever setting you're in. Okay. You, you know what I mean? Like if I was that short, then I would be a lot faster. Or if I was <laughs> that tall, then I would be dunking on everybody. You know what I mean? Like, Which plays look, into these stereotypes, I these know, social but, constructs, I know, but and that's just, why we have to like stray away from them and make sure that we don't ascribe to them and we don't we don't but, help but, further them. But I think we're turning things into privileges. That may not necessarily be a privilege. It's just it is what it is, and we just got to deal with life. You know, mm, and I think, and I personally think that's problematic because I don't think okay. we should ever. I don't think we should ever just accept something just because it has been what it is. Because mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, that'd be like the same thing. Like, um, like oh well, we've we've never voted, so why should we vote? You know what I mean? Right. We recognize voting is important mm-hmm. now, reflectively. And I think that's kind of what they're saying is like we have to be self-reflective. I think they recognize voting was important more back then than we do now. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. But what I'm saying is prior to the revelation of that, mm-hmm. that wasn't like it was like, let's get through the day. Work. 
right? It was like, let's get through the day. Mm-hmm. And then when they realized that voting was an avenue to helping get through the day, mm-hmm. then you ha- then it's like, okay, well then let's get the vote, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I just think that uh, when we talk about privilege uh, away from just this particular piece, um, we have to talk about it in like the larger context. Like where are the inequities? Like privileges are unearned benefits um, and, and lenses and perspectives regardless of the impact on other folks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as African-American, as educated African-American men, right? We have a lot of privilege just in that. As educated African-American black men, there's a lot of privilege in that, right? Um, not enough, not enough, not enough um, comparatively to really like, when we think about what white privilege is in that capacity, right? We can, it's not, it can't equate in the same way, but we do, we have privilege over uneducated African-American men and how we that's are able to... That's not privilege, though. That's, I, not, that's not privilege. And that's why I don't like the word privilege. I'm yeah. I'm actively looking for a better term word, because, word. because it is also problematic for poor white folks, right? Because they're like, I ain't got no privilege, right? And so that's why privilege is a hard word. It's, it's a hard tough. word. So I want to find something, a better term for us to be using across the board. But really, at the end of the day, it's just really when there's an imbalance, there is an imbalance that exists mm-hmm. um, that is harmful, yeah. right? And so we want to figure out how do we bring equity into into the picture? How do we bring fairness and justice and balance back into the picture? Yeah. How do we give where cisgendered folks can... And here's, here's, here's a point of privilege or imbalance, right? Okay. Cisgendered folks. Perfect example. Um, uh, I just went to... Um, I go to Vegas for my birthday yeah. and uh, I take some of my closest friends and one has recently began uh, the process of transitioning, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, small minor privilege, they don't get to share the room with us. They don't get to get a discount because there's four of us in one room and now they've got to carry a room by themselves mm-hmm. because we're being respectful of the transition and all those type of things. But the bigger one is when we're out on the strip and we're in these various casinos. Mm-hmm. Where are they supposed to go to the bathroom? Where are they supposed to go to the bathroom? Where can they go and take care of a natural bodily function in a place that is safe and comfortable for them? We were in Caesar's Palace and my friend could not find a bathroom to go to that was not high high traffic, right? Because they were like, okay, if I go in the men's room, I don't feel comfortable because I'm, I don't identify as a man and I don't really fully look like one anymore, right? But if I go in the women's restroom, I run the risk of offending someone else in there. That's privilege. That's, a, that's an oppression upon them and their natural bodily function, right? So that's why um, we have to think about that. I, I don't think about that. When I go out in public, I know that I'm gonna be able to find a restroom. Whether it's a, whether it's a multi-stalled or a single use, I know there's gonna be a place for me to go take care of my bodily function, right? My friend doesn't have that safety and security. That's privilege. That's where the imbalance is. That's where equity is missing. And that and, and that's what really drives it home for me. It's like bathrooms. Not just bathrooms, but just when you're talking about someone not being able to take care of their natural needs, right? Where there's this imbalance and this a lack of safety, right? No one should fear going to the restroom. It's something we all do every day. And that was a huge thing. And it was a, it was a, it was a big eye opener. And I made a mistake because um, there was a restaurant in the uh, 
in the casino and the casino is massive right so all the bathrooms are constantly populated and folks are coming and going but typically like those little stores or the, ba- or the restaurants in there their bathrooms aren't that frequently used and I was like can we use y'all's restroom and they were like are you eating here? And you know, I'm like, I'm not that guy. You don't, I'm not that guy. You don't, you don't, Talk to the wrong you, one. you don't, you don't push back and you don't confront. And also my friend had already looked for like a bathroom for like almost an hour. Wow. So I was like, so now we were almost at the point of having to leave the strip. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I was like, do you understand? Right. And I was speaking in a space that wasn't mine to speak. And I made it bigger of an issue. Right. And made it almost as uncomfortable as not having a bathroom Mm. as trying to get a bathroom Mm -hmm. because it wasn't my place. Right. So I have to be constantly be mindful um, while I love my friend and I want to support and be helpful that sometimes it's just not my place to speak. And so we have to be mindful of that. And those are where all the things of privilege come in, because if I need a bathroom, like you're going to let me use your restroom. Like, what are you talking about? I can't use your restroom. That's just ridiculous to me. but yeah, and so I just use bathrooms because it's been a part of the national conversation and I don't think folks are thinking about it in this capacity. Mm. So I want to elevate the conversation to be like, let's talk about this in a grander and a better way where we're thinking about human basic need, right? Not fear, not stereotypes, but human basic need. And so so is, so is there, so what's the answer to that? To what's which the part? answer to the, to the, all right, this person is choosing to go through this transition at whatever point in time in life that they go through it. Okay. So as they choose Mm -hmm. to go through this transition, what is their choice of, do they choose a gender or no? Again, not my, not my, nope. not my, okay, I'm just, not my, I'm just, I don't, I'm I don't, not, not, my, not, my, not my, not my wheelhouse, Word. you know, but, I mean, but, you, but I'm definitely supportive and I love my friend and I'm like, whatever yeah. you need, I'm going to be your champion. You tell me what you need. I'm going to go out here and use everything that I know, everything that I've got yeah. to help accomplish what it is that you need to feel as a complete and a whole and a, and an inclusive part of our society and community. Word. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I can't really speak to that. There's yeah. a lot of other folks who are, are probably uh, are definitely better versed in that. Word. I'm just simply saying my particular experience was this 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 moment. So I can speak about what my role was in that mm-hmm. um, and just really recognizing how much deeper my compassion and understanding was developed in that in that moment. Yeah, for sure. So let's move on from that because I don't think we have any answers for that. Um, we got questions. We don't. We yeah, <laughs> yeah. We got questions, but we don't got answers. So um, let's try to touch on something that we can both really kind of dig into. So uh, let's see. Let's see. What's next? This. So this is a point where it, it, this is this is my main thing. Like the hetero. Or not. What was it? The. Uh, uh, what would I just read? The cisgender privilege, like I didn't even know what cisgender meant. I was like, what are they talking about? So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting Mm, each other mm. as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Now, rewinding back to the beginning of that, Mm -hmm. we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. That right there was just that. That's what a year ago when I read that part, I was mm-hmm. like, "All right, I'm done." But what did it mean to you? What did you? What do you hear it saying to you? When I hear this, mm-hmm. and I mean, because it is this, and I and I also read the the next thing. So we foster a queer affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather, belief that 
all in the world are heterosexual unless he or she or they disclose otherwise. So I'm just like, I would. I thought this was about justice, <laughs> about niggas getting killed. Like really? Oh, okay. You know what okay. I mean? Like that's what I thought this was about. I thought that that's why this started. Mm-hmm. That's why everything popped off. Mm-hmm. Their voice and their, you know, their brand mm-hmm. was built on that. To mm-hmm. my knowledge, okay. right now I'm just somebody watching CNN. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not wherever right. they are. Um, but then I'm reading all this stuff, and it's just about transgender, queer, dismantling nuclear family structure. I'm like, what? What is going on? I was okay. like, why? Why are they saying disrupting a nuclear family structure? Okay, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's counter to me. What I'm reading is it's it seems counterproductive to the cause. Okay. If you if you are basically what you're trying to do is dismantle white supremacy, okay. I think we could all agree like that's something that we want done. Okay. The 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 biggest threat to white supremacy is the black man, the African man. Okay. And the African man needs his family. Okay. To be tight, and he has to be the leader of his family. Okay. For us to. To to move forward as a people. In my in my opinion. Okay. And so, if you want to disrupt the Western Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement, mm-hmm. for what? Okay. That's, that's that's not the problem. So it's like it's almost an attack on the black man and the black family. Like we want to disrupt that. No, this is what we need. We need more of this. It's already been disrupted. <laughs> like the crack epi- epidemic has disrupted it. Okay. The incarcer- mass incarceration system has disrupted it. Like we need the the nuclear family. We need the man and the woman in the home raising our children, taking care of our families. Like that's what we need. Okay. I'm not a part of the organization in the capacity to speak directly to uh, what motivated this, but I do want to s- uh, just preface with the fact that one, what jumped it off was the killing of black men, right? But as they grew, developed, evolved, it was like, if you're black lives matter, and this is a, a, a contentious piece for me to talk about right here, it's like, yeah. then all black lives must matter. The incarcerated person, oh, yeah. whether you like their crime or not, the, uh, the, inca- uh, the queer person, the transgender person, all of the identities that exist that make up the villages mm-hmm. of who we are as a people. All of that must matter. And I think that's more to what they're saying. And I hear the triggering piece around disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement. And I want to focus on the word requirement because I think that's for me, um, that's really where the real, where the real, the real focus of this is. Mm. It's like, stop saying that it's only a family if it's designed in this particular matter. Because then what that does is it discounts the family that still exists post the crack academic uh, um, epidemic. Does but who's it, but who's doing that? Who's doing what? Who's who's doing that in the black community? Saying like because there's everybody. A lot of these a lot of brothers have you know come up in single parent homes. Right, and that's why that's why we have to dismantle. But, this but is, no, but that's but but this it's already it's already there. Like no nobody's saying that that we can't do that. Like it's already been happening. So what? But that doesn't mean that we be... can't. It doesn't mean we can't quantify and qualify it. Doesn't mean that we can't build it into our structure so that way we're naming it and recognizing what's going on. Like, um, and maybe we're saying maybe we're t- we're talking about it from different angles and, and we're and we're missing it. I'm not sure because I didn't write it and For I wasn't sure. part of the development of right, it. Right, but right. but um, 
I just think that it's problematic when we allow other folks to define what family is. I think that's kind of what the, I, I, that's how I take it. It's like, we cannot let someone else tell us that the family structure has to be this way. Because when you say something has to be one way, it invalidates every other every other format of it, right? So when we talk about blended families, that's no longer valid, even though they've had value. When we talk about single parent homes under, under a structure of Western prescribed, those homes are invalidated. And so I think this is saying, we need to dismantle the structure that says there's only one way. It doesn't mean let's dismantle the black family, uh, remove the black man. Let's just remove the harmful piece that says this is the only way so that way we can exist in the moment that we are in right so that must be just because i don't i've i haven't heard or i mean i was they're doing the work they know better than me mm-hmm. you're doing the work you know better than me <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> so i'm just trying to i'm trying to learn on the fly and me too because like know, i'm like and, and like i told you I, I have experts. some i have some i have some challenges with this as well you word, know word. um and i hear your i hear where you're i hear a thread that we we are we are uh, aligned on like the erasure of the black man like you do not find a a um guiding principle as how black men are supposed to exist but mm-hmm. it really just like it it does feel like that i'm gonna i yeah. i read it so on, on the outside looking, looking in it's like to my knowledge, you know, they are queer women. I don't know if they all are, just two of three, whatever mm-hmm. the case might be. And so on the outside looking in, they're, they're doing great work. But I think it, what it looks like is, all right, they they did this work. It popped off and it, it went further than whatever. They didn't even have any intentions of it. So now you got this big platform. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of make it about you. And all the things that you've been wanting to do for a long time but you didn't have the clout to do it. But now that you have the clout to do it, you're going to push two agendas at once. Okay. okay. So it's so it, so it's more it's not just about you know these young men that are getting killed by the police and and that's that's the lane cuz I I thought that was the lane. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. I thought that was the path that they were on and they may still be on it, but then when I read this it doesn't really talk. I mean, and granted, this is the the second half of it. You know, the mm-hmm. first half talks about how it started with Trayvon mm-hmm. and what they did in Ferguson. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then it gets into you know the ideology. I'm just like, well, where, what? You well, know? you know, I think it's born out of their experience. I think that's yeah. important. I think it's a lens. I think as um, as from their identity, their experience, they're bringing into the conversation things that cisgendered, heteronormative thinking um, has ignored and so i think Mm. that it's important that we elevate these voices these perspectives into the conversation elevate and insert right Mm -hmm. um because we've we've ignored them the black church has ignored them the black family has ignored them whether i mean look at all the issues that we as black family right let's go to the black family that we we disregard um queerness um heterosexuality we have shame around mass incarceration we're not talking about this stuff we are better about talking about it now that other Mm -hmm. people have given us language for it Mm -hmm. but for for far too long we've been silenced on all of what it means to be black in america Mm. and what that full experience looks like i mean we barely are having a conversation around intergenerational experience relationship and leadership so i just think that we have not had the space and grace to have a developed well thought out strategic policy driven community driven um uh conversation Mm. around the things that make us whole 
mm-hmm. right? We've always talked about the black black man, the uh, the head of the black family, and the black church, mm-hmm. but we've never talked about the multiplicity of identities that make that up. Mm-hmm. Whether it's queer or or we just we just have never had the language. We've mm-hmm. never had the language to talk about who we are in every capacity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's important. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you look at when you look at the. Um, the LGBTQ and 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 I it's not my it's not my it's not my um it's not my field so please forgive me um, for not always having the correct language around it but watching as they try to develop that I mean when you look at what that that and when they build that whole thing out it's like 12 15 letters long right because there's intersex there's questioning there's asexual there's all these other components of identity that are built into for a lack of a better term queerness um and so um wait same there's thing. more than just those L- letters? yeah there's a lot more than L- you can google it there's more than lgbtq oh right and that's the thing because there's a I just multi- got I just got hit to the queue like right right, right. 6 months ago I so there's like, a, oh, it's, it's basically what we're saying is that there's a multiplicity to our our, our very diverse identities and experiences mm-hmm. and let's talk about them mm-hmm. let's talk about these structures that say the black family only exists if a black man is at the head of it then what about the black mother which is a point that I'm brought out mm-hmm. about Wakanda right so killmonger Okay. is said to be this horrible person because his daddy is gone. So that invalidates whatever. So it's saying his mom couldn't have made him a better human. His mom had no role in making him his heart whole or healed. So it just perpetuates that same narrative that, oh, without the man there, it's not possible to be a decent human being. And that's problematic because then people may buy and believe that. Well, I I grew up in a nuclear family, so I don't I don't know what it is to not grow up without without with their, without your father. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say it's important, right? It's imp- and and I will say that you found value in it, and I I found value in it, and I recognized, especially when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. how much it was needed. I did not listen to my mom. My mom couldn't tell me anything. Mm-hmm. She didn't put no fear in me. If my dad wasn't there, I would have run over my mom. Okay. Not because I didn't love her. It's because I was hyped up on testosterone <laughs> and you couldn't tell me nothing. Okay. Okay. The only person that could put me in my place mm-hmm. was my dad. The things that I was doing mm-hmm. as a teenager, that my parents don't even know to this day. <laughs> but I but I talk about it on this podcast. I think it's just too... You know what I mean? I just think it's too restrictive and limiting... To say that's the only way, and I think that's, not, wait, and I know you, I know that's not what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. I'm just talking in the larger context. But in the like, larger context, I don't think anybody's saying that's the only way. But we have, we can't brush it to the side and say, like it is the best way. Okay, and that every family, like every family, needs both. Like okay. you can't just be raised by a man. You can't just be raised by a woman. I mean, you can, not to say it can't be successful, but like the ideal situation, and let's not skirt around it. Like the ideal situation is that the man and the woman raise their children together. That they're ch- not not for the man and the woman, but more for the child. Okay, but that, that also is, goes that to their ideal. next point about a heteronormative, a heteronormative um, society is like that's the only way. Like that's the prescribed way. That's the the preferred way. That is. But what about a family? What about these families that are really successful that have same same parent same parent households? How the kids get there? Somebody had to have sex. 
somebody had sex or yeah. maybe or maybe their hearts were so big that they adopted or they went through whatever process but what it's saying is like let's not invalidate the value right yeah that this brings to the table what i'm i don't Okay, I hear you. On and that. I think that's the value. I, that's the all value. they're saying. It's like yeah. let's not invalidate everyone else's experience because that's what it does. It okay. invalidates everyone else's experience. You come from a two-parent household, right? And you're yeah. like, that's the best way, right? Well, I come from a single-parent household, right? And I'm not saying it is the best or the worst way, but I turned out however I turned out, right? And I'm not gonna say, oh, um, it's the worst thing ever, right? I'm not. I'm not gonna say, oh, it's the best thing ever. It's just not. It's not fair to invalidate other people's experience. Yeah, and I. And that's what I'm, I'm definitely not trying to go Oh, I know. I know that's not true. That, but I just, at the end of the day, it's just, it's ideal. Mm-hmm. Now, I know people that had dads that were abusive. Mm-hmm. And they would have been better off without their dad. In their and life. that was my next point. That was my next point. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh-huh. it's like, that, so, so, and- that, so that happens. But, but. Ideally, you have a good mom and you have a good dad. And I think ideally you just have two parents who love you. Yeah. I think that's what is absolutely best. And and, and let me and let me just back up because that's even that can even be problematic. And, and this is where we get into really? what I mean by that is I think it's best that you have a structure that supports your growth and identity and development as a well-rounded human being. Okay. However, that exists. Yeah. Right, because as you said, it's about the child. So, what is in the best interest of the child, which is part of what they're saying? We've got to support the village. What up, y'all? This is Emmanuel hopping in. We are just getting started on this conversation. We're really halfway through it. Um, so, please go ahead and listen to part two of this conversation. It's going to pick up right where we left off with myself and Tony. Um, the second part, you, you have to listen to the, the completion of this thing because yeah, it's, it's necessary. So everybody hope y'all enjoying it so far and a special shout out to Alicia, Patrice, Opal, please y'all listen to the second part. Please hear it. All right. Appreciate y'all. Grace and peace. Peace.